The idea of God showing up and providing a surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. That's the definition of wonder. And what we'd like to do over the next several uh, weeks together as a church through this four-week teaching series called The Christmas of Wonder, ending on Christmas Eve, I want to invite you to rediscover the wonder of God. You remember what, like childlike wonder when you were a kid? Like I can, I can still remember the first uh, time I got a 1989 Upper Deck baseball card set with Ken Griffey Jr.'s rookie card inside. I still own it to this day, and I always thought it was like the greatest Christmas gift I ever got. This week, uh, how many of you already started setting up Christmas decorations? Yeah, pretty much everyone. Anybody set them up like right after Thanksgiving Day? Who, who set them up right after Halloween? Who... We're going to pray for the three of you. Yeah, we're going to pray. Like, I, I love Christmas season, so I can appreciate that, Liz. If, if you set them up early because you love Christmas so much, it's, many of us have forgotten what it was like when we were a kid. Opening those Christmas gifts, seeing all the lights and the amazing, awe-inspiring Christmas season. I, this just last week, I put lights in the front of our, our house in the bushes and had like kind of the Griswold family moment. Yeah, I'll give you the second half here in a little bit, but the first half of it went like this. My, the nine-year-old was at a birthday party, so I, I got the six and the three-year-old, and I told them, guys, we got a big surprise. It's going to be a wonderful thing, um, but you got to clean up the basement before you get to enjoy it. So like five hours later, they finally came up because like half of it was clean, and as a parent, I'd given up hope. And I I took the six-year-old and three-year-old. I waited till it was dark. I took them out onto the sidewalk. I left them there in the dark. And then I went back up to the house. And I had this moment, right, like it's pitch dark. And then I plug it in. Uh-oh. Oh. No, no, uh-oh. I know what I'm doing. That thing lit up, baby. <laughs> and I hear my daughter go, it's beautiful. Even the three-year-old, he doesn't care about the, anything other than the next meal in his face or like the toy he hopes to break in the next 15 minutes. He's like, I love it, Dad. Like there's something about like childlike wonder that is just so much fun to experience. You, you know, the, the Bible actually teaches us that we should have faith like a child. That if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we could tell this mountain to move from here over to there. And yet, I can't speak for you, but there's something that has happened to me as I age that I, over time, begin to slowly explain away the wonder of God, try and put Him into something that I can control so that I don't have any surprises. See, the the problem of enjoying and experiencing the wonder of God is is it often leaves you wondering, right? Right? If you invite the wonder of God into your life, you often find yourself going like, I can't control this. I don't know what's going on. It's beyond my understanding. That's the difficult part of fully inviting the power of God into your life. And yet I think it's incredibly important because the wonder of Christmas isn't just about lights and a tree and some presents. It's an amazing story of some teenage kids that are told by an angel that the Holy Spirit has impregnated Mary How many of you would like an unexpected child this Christmas season? (laughs) That's what happened. 
The, the husband isn't the husband yet. They haven't consummated the marriage. You're going to be a dad. It was the Holy Spirit. Don't ask any questions. And yet out of this unexpected story, God does something miraculous, changing the course of human history. And what I'd like to show you today that he had sovereignly, sovereignly planned this out for many, many generations. And that many of us, when it comes to following God and inviting his miraculous, awe-inspiring, beautiful power into our lives, we keep him at arm's length and at a distance. Because the truth is, as human beings, we're control freaks. And we don't like surprises. And I want to invite you to spread your wings a little bit and let the wind of God help you soar once again. That's what we'd like to share together. I told you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40, but first in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, kind of our theme verse for this morning, it's a prophetic uh, message about the coming Messiah of Jesus. The Israelites didn't know that at the time, but we know as Christians today, it says, for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word wonderful there in Hebrew, it's actually the word uh, Pele, like the soccer player. And it, it means beyond understanding, too wonderful for words, that you can't even fathom or understand your wonderful counselor. And we need to stop trying to put him into a box that we could control. We can't even express and fully grasp who he is and what he does that's at the heart of what I'd love to share with you, that you understand the Christmas story is about the improbable thing that Jesus did, breaking into human history, changing it so that anybody, no matter how far you are from God in this room or attending online, can draw near to a perfect God because of his work. That he is not only the Messiah, he is the Emmanuel, which in, means God with us. That you're never alone again. That's at the heart of what I would love to share with you together. And I want to, before we dive into Isaiah 40, I want to put these eight prophecies up on the screen. I don't have time to dive into this, uh, but these are just eight prophetic things in the Old Testament talking about the Messiah that is to be born that was all fulfilled in the person of Jesus. If you want to get your phone out, well, I'm not going to go through everything, but you can like take a quick picture and you can go check those out later. But I love uh, the head of the math and science department of Pasadena City College in the 1950s uh, actually came up with this uh, probability study mathematically that all eight of these would be fulfilled in one person. His name was Peter Stoner, excuse me, Peter Stoner. He was a Christian, but he was also the head of the math and science department at Pasadena City College. And he said the probability that all those would be fulfilled in one person is 10 to the 17th power. That didn't impress you? <laughs> For everyone else, all of the math majors are like, wow. Everyone else, this is what that means. He said, if you took a coin, a silver dollar, and you marked one side of the silver dollar, and then you went and you took 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, and you stacked them across the state of Texas, he said you would cover all the entire state of Texas up to two feet high, and then you blindfolded someone and you sent them into the state of Texas and said you get one opportunity with blindfolded to find the one coin that we have marked. That's the probability that all of those things would have been fulfilled in the birth of one human being. We serve 
a wonderful, inexplicable God that you and I, it is beyond our understanding. It is too wonderful for words. Our wonderful counselor, we can't comprehend. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God who I can comprehend. And that's why the Bible refers to that as idolatry. And that's what we'll look at. Okay, finally, here we go. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 25. You ready to study God's word, church? Come on now. Here's, here's what it says, verse 25. To whom will you compare me, God says. See, the Israelites, just like you and me during this time period, uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel had been invaded by the, the Assyrians, and they were about to be exiled to Babylon. The southern kingdom of Judah and all of that area would be taken over by the Babylonians. And they're like, where are you, God? He says, whoa, wait a second. Who, who do you think I am? God says, to who will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of the great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He says, I put the stars in the sky. I created the universe in six days. Who do you think I am? He goes on. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? As we'll study the genealogy of Jesus today, uh, you know, Abraham, remember Father Abraham? Had many sons, had many sons, had father. Remember? He had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob will have the 12 sons that will become the 12 tribes of Israel. So when it refers to Jacob here, it's much after the life of Jacob, and it's referring to the Israelites. Israel was another name given to Jacob. Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one, no one at home, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What would it look like? For the God of Isaiah chapter 40 to do the inexplicable in your life this Christmas season. You should have got a slip of paper on the way in that looks like this with a little, uh, we got these ornaments up front here. I'm going to invite you to take out this piece of paper and here's what we want you to do over the next 25 minutes or so. As we study scripture together and we, we begin to hear from God in our life, I invite you, what, what's the one inexplicable thing you want God to do this Christmas? Something in your life, something you're struggling with, something that you think seems impossible that you have given up hope on. Maybe it's to change a family member's life. Maybe it's to see something corrected in your life. Maybe it's the redemption of something that's occurred. But that you would write it on the slip of paper. At the end of our time together, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. That one prayer this next few weeks together that you're going to ask God to answer, to have childlike faith on. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we just pause in the busyness of uh, this Christmas season and this weekend. As we start this study of your Christmas story, God, this week we ask that we truly could grasp how big and how large you truly are, that we can't possibly even fathom you, but we can trust you, and that we might begin to relinquish some of the control in our life over to you. 
God, we declare that you are almighty God, our wonderful counselor, our prince of peace and everlasting father. Speak to us today through Isaiah 40. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, here's the problem with life. Sometimes you got these great moments like my daughter going, it's beautiful. That the back end of those don't always turn out the way that you planned. I told you it was a Griswold family moment, man. I, I plugged those things in. I felt like for the first time in my life, those who know me well know I am not handy. Like in any way, shape, or form. Like you think of the least handy person in your life and then like go like 10 people below that person. Like that's the depth of my handiness. And I was so proud that I figured out how to plug lights in together um, that three hours later, I went back out just to look and appreciate all my hard work. Not a single light was still on. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I started, um, it got to be the outlet. It couldn't be something I did. So I, I tell you, I start plugging in all, I try all the outlets. Nothing works. The lights still, to this day and hour, are no longer on at the Hoosman household because apparently I am the worst handyman in the entire world. And I, I, now, in the moments like that where something unexpected occurs and it doesn't go your way in life, nobody's going like, oh, I'm really glad God has given me a moment for him to show up, right? Like when things happen that you didn't want to occur, you struggle in your dating life and it's not going the way you planned. When you struggled in your marriage and you, it seems like you've tried the counseling thing and it's just not getting fixed. When you've been trying to correct the debt and the habits you have financially and you went to classes and you just can't fix it, like you start beginning to lose hope. See, th th what I find is those are the moments where it's most important to invite in this wonder-filled counselor who has the miraculous power to address the things you and I can't control. And yet that's most often when we push him away and keep him at arm's length. Because in those moments of desperation, I don't know about you, but here's what I do. I quickly jump to go, well, I got a problem. I got to fix it. Right? Marriage is struggling, so let's get to marriage counselor. Uh, uh, struggling with finances, Dave Ramsey class, Crown Financial, let's do that. Mr. I don't have direction in, in my career, let's go to a life coach. I'm uh, really struggling with my child, well, let's go get some best practices how to deal with these particular issues. Struggling with uh, some of the medical things going on in our family need to go to the doctors. Man, I encourage you to do all those things. Absolutely. Those are the things that you can control. Those are all good things. Some of them may not always be good. Like if you're struggling in your dating life, you're like, I'm going to get on every dating app I can possibly find. I'm going to fix this problem. The probability is better if I go on a lot more dates that I will find someone and get free meals. So why not do this? And yet you don't always get the outcome that you're looking for. There are certain things that you can control and you should do those things, but there are other things you can't control. And if you're not inviting in the God that created the universe in six days, that knitted you together in your mother's womb, that knows every hair on your head, scriptures teach us, what are we truly doing? He has the awesome, wonder-filled power the inexplicable thing to address those issues, the problem is we can't control him. And that's why most of us never do. See, what I'd like to do in the short time that we have together, if Christmas is all about Emmanuel, which literally means that God is with us, 
that he chose this moment in human history to enter in, to be born into the world, to live a difficult life, be crucified and raised on the third grave so that anybody here today, if they confess that they're not perfect, receive God's grace and forgiveness because of Jesus' work on the cross, yes, you can live eternally in heaven one day with him, but you can also experience him in your life now. You're never alone again. He's the wind at your back. And those verses that we read in Isaiah chapter 40, when it says you're going to sw- uh, uh, soar on wings like eagles. The problem is, for most of us, we live in a culture, especially North Indianapolis and Hamilton County, where we, we like to win, right? Like, we want to win in the workplace. We want to win on a sports field. We want to win at school. We want to win at home. We want to win, win, win in every area. And that works out great until you don't win, doesn't it? And what we do, rather than soaring, like the scriptures teach us, we spend most of our time flapping those wings as crazy as we can, trying to make this happen. Look, control the things you can control, but also use the wind at your back and invite that wonderful counselor to come in and do the things that you can't control. To have childlike wonder, childlike faith, to ask God to do the things that are incomprehensible, that are inexplicable to you. I find most of us, rather than doing that, we jump to fixing the problems Instead of inviting God in, not just to the good things, but the bad things as well. If you're taking notes and are following along, I want to give you how to experience God's beautiful, inexplicable, beyond your understanding, wonder this Christmas. And we're going to move quick. The first point I want to make from Isaiah chapter 40 is you got to remember who God is. Remember who he is. Uh, Verses 25 and 26. God says this through the prophet Isaiah to, to Israel. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. He says, look up the sky, all the stars. Like, you can't do that. And I don't know about you, I don't believe I'm in any way, shape, or form equal to God. So I don't think that's the case at all for you either. But I do probably put myself more in the conversation and comprehension with God where I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of who he is and what he can accomplish. And really, that's a form of idolatry. If, if you're comparing yourself to God and you're playing in a basketball game, if he is Michael Jordan, you're the speck of dust on the court, right? If, if you're comparing yourself to him and he is in your intellect compared to God's, if he is Albert Einstein, you are like a, a paramecium. Does anybody know what a paramecium is? Oh, more at the service, a one-celled living organism. I know this because Robin Williams told me this in the movie Hook in the early 1990s. Any uh, Hook fans out there? Oh, this is the service. Okay. Yeah. That is what you, how you compared to God. That's how tiny and infinitesimal you are to the almighty, powerful God. So why do we make him into such a wimpy, apathetic God, who I can fully comprehend and control, and I know what I need done in my life, when I want it, how I want it. I don't know about you, but if I want to invite the wonder of God in this Christmas season to see him do the inexplicable in my life to answer that prayer, I don't want to be able to comprehend him. I don't want to be able to fathom or understand him And that's uh, what this passage is really about, that he's saying to the Israelites. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Look, they're about to be invaded by the Babylonians. It's natural that when things aren't going well in your life and the unexpected occurs, you go, God, where are you? If you're not going to do this, I'm going to fix this. 
And what I find in my life, the older I get and the more experiences I have of going through difficult things, the more I want to become this calloused Christian that keeps God at a distance so that I can control my life so I can get some semblance of peace. And I kick out the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace that could truly provide me with what I'm really desiring. Don't forget who he is. Don't turn him into something that you can control, like the old analogies of the genie in the bottle or the Santa Claus that brings you the gifts you're wanting. Rather understand him as the great and mighty God that created the universe in six days and has been around since the beginning of time, and he waited for this particular moment in time for his son, the son of God, to be born into the world. Don't think that he is not sovereign Because number two, if you're taking notes, you don't just need to remember who he is. You need to acknowledge that we all lose hope. It happens to all of us. Just like the Israelites, we start questioning things. We lose hope and we think God's not going to show up in our life. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. It said, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. See, when unexpected surprises happen in your life that are a lot worse than like the lights in my bushes going out, and I've shared some of this before, like we've lost a child, it was the hardest thing I ever went through, but the greatest thing I I got to take from that was to understand that sometimes things happen in life that you just cannot control, no matter what you do. And it's in those moments where you need that wonderful counselor more than ever to call on him, to be there for you. And the Israelites in the Old Testament, it's only when they finally cry out to God that he responds because he's going, I always want to be there for you. But this is a two-way relationship. And when you try and seek control and then just seek me out when something goes wrong, you've missed out on this incredible, awe-inspiring, wonder-filled, inexplicable relationship that we could have with one another. This just happened this week to us. I'm not going to share the details just for privacy's sake, but we found out some hard news about one of our kids. They're they're all fine, uh, nothing major, but it was just some hard news that we had been wondering for a few years. And like here in those times, I realized, man, I got to get on my knees and and pray about this because I can't fix this. What is it right now in your family, the broken relationships and your world, the problems and the struggles that you're having that you know you can't fix. And you need to cry out to the Lord and ask for his help and to say, I am going to have a Christmas of wonder this year where God does something I could never do. And you need to write it on that piece of paper that we gave you. And at the end of our time together, you're going to bring it up grab an ornament there, put the sheet of paper folded up inside the ornament, put the lid on top, nobody's going to read it but you, and you're going to come place it on one of the trees up here. And every week you come in here for the next few weeks, this is going to represent all the wonder-filled prayers our church is asking the Almighty God to show up and answer and do the inexplicable thing that seems impossible in our lives. Because we just spent... Four weeks of our church doing this amazing series called This is Mercy Road. Didn't Jillian do an amazing job last weekend of sharing her story of being redeemed from 
addiction and all kinds of stuff. And look what God has done with her life. Now, there are a lot more stories out there. They're in this room right now. They're attending online. But it's going to take us going, okay, God, I want to experience your wonder in my life, your inexplicable nature to do this thing that seems impossible. And we're going to be reminded of that each week as we look at these ornaments on the tree. If you don't understand the the sovereignty of God, I want to read to you my favorite uh, Christmas passage. This is my favorite Christmas passage. And I've never heard a pastor ever preach on this at Christmas time. Anybody ever read Matthew 1, 1 through 17? Three people, three people. This is going to be great, guys. I, I love this passage. It's the genealogy of Jesus. How many of you, when you read Matthew 1 or any of the genealogies in the Bible, you instantly just skip over that entire section? Yeah. The rest of you are all liars. Liars. We all do it, right? Like, it's like, I just skip over. But these represent real people in the Israelite history that everybody would have been familiar with. And it's powerful. And I want to show you the sovereign plan of God when it comes to the birth of Jesus that we're celebrating at Christmas, that you can understand that he does things that are inexplicable to the human mind. Look at this with me. Verse 1. We're really going to read this. I can't wait. This is going to be powerful, man. It's going to be powerful. The genealogy. You've never read a genealogy in the Bible, but you're going to do it today. You can say you've done it and you've heard a pastor do this. Verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He kind of lays out the whole pattern here of uh, where he's going to go with it. Abraham, you ready? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, as we discussed, the father of Judah and his 11 brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Minadab. Minadab, the father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of Salmon, or Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Woo! That was powerful, wasn't it? Got a lot out of that. It's not done yet. Let's keep the fun going. David was the father of Solomon, super messed up king, 700 wives, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, one of the good kings, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. Whew. Powerful. You never read it, but let me show you this. How many generations, descendants, from Abraham until King David? You can count them up there. Abraham to Isaac, that's one. Isaac to Jacob, that's two. How many? Anybody know? Who, uh, somebody said it. 14, thank you. Of course, Jan, you got it. 14 generations. And this is going to get real easy. How many generations do you think it was from David until the exile to Babylon? 14 generations. Wow, powerful. Let's keep reading. Verse uh, 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetel. Shetel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Elikim. Elikim, the father of Zorah. Zorah, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah, meaning the anointed one. Wow. Powerful. How many generations do you think it was? 
14 from the, don't get too excited, 14 from Babylon until the birth of Jesus. So 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 generations from David to the exile, 14 from the exile to the birth of Jesus. Look at verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. 14, 14, 14. Does that seem like a God who had a plan? And in case you're wondering, why mention David and why mention the, the exile? Well, with David, they had the greatest king in, in history, and after him, the kingdom will be split in two, and they'll never, no longer have a true kingship. And then by the exile, it's the last time they have any land. They will lose all control of their land. And when Messiah is born, they're given an eternal king and an eternal kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth one day that will fulfill the prophetic covenant that was given to Abraham all the way back in the beginning. I will make your descendants of many of the sand of the seashore, and with David, that you will always have a king and that you will always have this land. That he took thousands of years of human history and lined it out, 14, 14, 14, so you couldn't question his sovereignty and plan. And I share that because if he can handle thousands of years of human history, do you think he can handle whatever it is you're going to write on that piece of paper? Why do we make him into this wimpy little God that I can control? He is an awe-inspiring, wonderful God that you and I can't even comprehend. It is beyond our understanding. His words are too wonderful to even express. We cannot even get a glimpse or a grasp of who he is and what he has done. And yet many of us are this little speck of dust on the basketball court, and we think we're going to play basketball better as a speck of dust than inviting Michael Jordan onto our team. Because we like our control, and we don't like giving it up. Maybe that's just me. See, the the third and final point that I want to invite you to do this Christmas together, according to Isaiah chapter 40, is learn to fly. Learn to fly. You know, I mentioned the movie Hook when I saw that as a kid. I'm not making this up. I went home, and for probably 30 minutes, man, I got up on my bed, and I would just jump off and try and fly. I always wanted to fly. Anybody do that as a kid? Yeah. And I I always remember, too, you know, uh, wanting to fly so bad and not being able to do it. The Bible teaches us that for so many of us, we're trying so hard to make things happen, flapping our wings in life, rather than allowing God to help us to fly. If you want to fly, you got to learn to soar. What we're asking you to do this Christmas is, like Michael Jordan said in the 1989 documentary, come fly with me. We're inviting you this Christmas season to relinquish some control in your life, to ask God to do the inexplicable beyond your understanding things that you think could never actually occur, and begin to have childlike wonder and faith again in your life. You see, I love this last verse in Isaiah 40. It said in verse 31, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You can't soar if you don't spread your wings and allow the wind to direct your path. And you can adjust. There are things you can control, absolutely. And there may be moments you've got to put a little effort into it, no doubt about it. Those are good things. 
Go to the doctor, absolutely. Seek out Christian counseling. Go into a Dave Ramsey course. Go to celebrate recovery or one of the addiction things. Absolutely, there are things you can control. But in the things that you can't, you got to invite the inexplicable power of God fully in and begin to soar. I love the movie Remember the Titans. You remember, anybody remember that movie? And there's that great line by Rev, one of the players on the football team, when he quotes this in Isaiah chapter 40. He says, even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and soar like eagles, yo. Like eagles, yo. You remember that? That was pretty good, wasn't it? Like some of us, we got to start soaring again. Spread those wings. Invite him in. You have become so calloused. And time will do this to you. You'll become such a crusted over Christian that thinks you can control an almighty, wonderful, powerful, awesome, incredible counselor that we get to call God. Let's begin to ask him to do the impossible again. Let's believe that this Christmas season he could do something in our life that would be inexplicable and ask him to do it in your life. Put it on that piece of paper. Maybe it's a family member's name. Nobody's going to read this but you. Write down maybe what God is instilling in you that you know you need to change but you've been trying for years and it just can't occur. The things that you can't control that it would require an all-powerful God to do it, invite him into it. Because here's what this could look like. When I started doing that after losing a child, I saw that not only was I sustained, that I didn't grow tired and weary, that I could continue to minister and do the things God had called us to do. I actually saw him begin to use that in other people's lives and change their lives. We saw a lot of people come to Christ through that. And the final thing I want to share with you, when we first started the church, we were just this group of people meeting in a house, like four minutes that way. That was it. And we just, but we knew an all-powerful God. And, and we were literally about, I think, six to eight weeks from launching the church at Clay Middle School in Carmel. But we didn't have any money to buy the equipment. Like, we were just six to eight weeks out. And some on the team were like, Josh, like, this isn't going to happen, man. It's not like we can just like, make this occur, you know? And so I said, I know, I agree. So we better pray. And we committed in that meeting right then to pray. And we said, God, we need $25,000, we believe, uh, to uh, purchase this equipment to start the church. And we began to pray. Within the next week, I got an email from some national conference talking about a church down in Ocala, Florida. Uh, You might not even know where that is, near Orlando, giving away $20,000 to the church plant with the best master plan. I thought, well, we're a church plant. We have a plan. So I submitted an application to them. And we made one of the nine finalists to receive the $20,000. What I didn't know at the time was they only had nine applicants. But I went ahead, didn't have the money, but purchased the ticket to go down to the conference. Flew down there. They knew some of the church planters already, the ones that they were probably going to give the the $20,000 to. We went through three rounds of this, and they just saw what God was doing and and the need, and they said, okay, we're going to give it to Mercy Road Church and help plant it in Carmel, Indiana. And I literally, get this, yeah, it's exciting. Like a week or two after that prayer, I'm standing on stage with a giant check for $20,000, I just start weeping on the stage. And and my wife will tell you, I am not a a sad, emotional type person. I I got back home and we began to share this story. Do you know what happened? 
people rallied and they said, we're going to match that $20,000. In this little startup church, they raised $20,000. We matched it to create $40,000. And we started the church with $15,000 more than we thought we needed. And that, that happened within two or three weeks. Look, I'm not telling you it's always going to work out that way. We don't get to dictate how God answers our prayers because he's the wonderful counselor, not us. But we do get to dictate whether we ask for his help. And so I would just encourage you, whatever it is that you think seems impossible in your life right now, invite him into it. He can handle it. He planned out thousands of years of human history, orchestrated at 14, 14, 14, so you wouldn't have to second guess. He knows what he's doing. When he, Jesus was born into the world, God always knew it would happen like that. And he called him Emmanuel, God with us, so that you would know no matter how unexpected or the things that surprise you in your life, if God is in the middle of those surprises, his wonder will see you through. His miraculous power, he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. So don't question it like the Israelites did in Isaiah 40, but invite him in. Be the wind at your back and begin to soar again. If you're like me and you have control issues, I'll I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Let's pray this together. God, we invite you in this Christmas season and we relinquish control of the areas of our life that we simply can't or should not control. And then God, we, we pray right now this one thing that we're going to ask you to do the inexplicable in our life over these next several weeks. And as we write this on this paper, God, will it be, may it be much more than just some paper and ink, but it would be an eternal promise that we get to see represented on these trees every week, and we get to celebrate how you answer those prayers. And then finally, God, even if it's just one or two people in this room or attending online right now, that the truth is they've never had that relationship with you where they have asked you or, or expressed anything to you. They don't communicate with you. If that's you here in the room and you would like to begin a relationship through the power and the work of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. It can begin with just a simple prayer. Pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I'm not perfect and I need you. I invite your wonder, your mystery into my life again. And on this day, I ask for forgiveness and I receive your grace and I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. I repent of anything that's not of you and help me be the person you created me to be and begin to soar through life again. God, you know who truly prayed that. May you help them take next steps of faith. May they mark it on a card and get a free Bible. God, we just worship you here together. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen.